right. Good day, everyone. I am super excited to be back um, on my podcast with Adventist Voices, Girl Meets Church, discussions on religion, justice, culture, and intersectionality. I am your host, uh, Dr. Llewellyn, and I'm just really, really excited not only to be back on my podcast, but to have my guest that's, you know, just sort of bringing us back in, Dr. Jamie Collisar. I am super stoked uh, that he's our guest for today uh, because I know we're going to have great conversation about exactly why this podcast exists, conversations on social justice, religion, culture, and all these pieces. So Dr. Collisar, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Llewellyn. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to partner How you with feeling? you. I'm feeling good. Yes, yes. I'm feeling good. I'm- awesome, awesome. Now, Dr. K, I know you have a podcast also, right? What is the name of your podcast? So my podcast is called Raise Your Voice. And basically, it's just an opportunity or a platform that I wanted to create for individuals to raise their voice about whatever they're concerned about. I think, um, you know, in our society, we have a lot of thoughts and a lot of things that we want to share, but oftentimes we don't share it. So I said, hey, why not create a podcast that uh, gives people that opportunity to just be themselves and to just talk about matters that... uh, are of their heart that they want to uh, let other people know about and just, you know, start the conversation. So it's really simple. It's not complex. It's just, it's just what it, what the title is. That's exactly what the podcast is about. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's awesome. So why don't you officially introduce yourself to everyone, say a little bit about who you are and uh, what you do. So uh, for those that don't know me, uh, anyone listening to this podcast, uh, as you know, my name is Jamie Collisar. I pastor the Dallas City Temple Church in Dallas, Texas. I've been living here for about uh, six years now, but I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Wow. Uh, some of the things that I love Brooklyn. to do is advocate for uh, equality for all people. Uh, and that means no matter who you are, you know, once you are a human being, I believe that you need to be uh, respected and that you should have the same rights as all other people. And, um, you know, I love fashion. That's one mm-hmm. thing that that's another hobby of mine. Mm-hmm. But for the most case, <laughs> re- just reading, studying, preaching and advocate doing advocacy are just a few things uh, that I find most of my time doing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have you here. There's so much that's going on, so much for us to talk about. um, And I'm really, really looking forward to how much my audience will be able to learn from you. I know that folk are going to be excited about hearing what you have to say. So where should we begin? Um, Why don't we talk about maybe a hot topic, which is you live in Texas and Texas is in the news right now Mm -hmm. for a lot of things that's going down in Texas. What are things like underground out there? And as it relates to policing, you know, we're hearing so much about Amber and, you know, the disappointment that came after she was sentenced, then just hearing about Atiana Jefferson. And so there are a lot of questions right now about policing, racial policing, trainings, hiring practices, all these things that's happening in Texas right now. What's it like for you as a justice advocate? Oh, man. So, you know, really good question. The work doesn't stop. So it's like as soon as Mm -hmm. we get a victory or as soon as we look like we're making progress, it just feels like the wheels of justice just get turned to uh, in reverse. Mm. So, um, you know, right now we're just getting through Amber Geiger. And leading up to that trial, there was a lot of work that we were doing. Uh, we were having rallies, uh, getting various churches together. And we were also uh, fighting mm. for certain policies to be, you know, it all, matter of fact, we were fighting for certain policies to get passed. Uh, going to city council meetings, but that got halted with the Amber Mm -hmm. Geiger trial. And so we started putting our energy into that. Um, Fast forward to today Mm -hmm. with Atiana Jefferson, you know, it's like, man, we just got through Amber Geiger. Now we're dealing with this uh, this same, same scenario, you know, where 
you can't even feel safe in your mm-hmm. own apartment anymore. You know, you're afraid to call the cops because they might right. shoot you. And then in between that, you know, we right. have these other things that are happening, like the lead witness in the Amber Geiger trial. He was murdered uh, maybe like a week or two weeks mm-hmm. later after. So there's that there's that issue of gun violence in our communities and then the gun violence from the police. And then you and then you add to right. that, you know, we're dealing with affordable housing. We're dealing with, uh, you know, mm. uh, statues that are dedicated to white supremacist generals and leaders that America wants to advocate. So it's so many different mm. tenets of uh, injustices that are happening here in Texas that there's no break um, in the fight. But, you know, right. we're, we're out there. We're doing our best. But uh, I've been away for a few days. So I'm sure the tensions are thick. I know there's a lot of things happening in Fort Worth that I'm going to get into the thick of things and get involved in to make sure that we uh, advocate and support. And um, just to just to let the folks listening know that this Atiana Jefferson is one of our own. This is a Botham John for Seventh Day Adventists. Her parents are her parents are wow. Seventh Day Adventists. Wow! Wow! I had seen somewhere online where someone had mentioned that they thought that she might have had affiliations with Adventism, but I hadn't seen anything confirmed. Um, Wow, which is even sadder to think about. Um, And I've always said that I wonder if it takes um, like one of our own being a victim like this to wake up Adventism. And we'll definitely talk about that a little later on. Um, but definitely painful and praying for the family and the church family and all of us that, you know, feel the loss of, of such a life. Yeah, so yeah totally. Yeah. And I'm sure uh, the parents would definitely appreciate that because they're getting pulled left and right with all the demonstrations and, you know, just the news, just trying to find mm-hmm. out more information. So your prayers and your advocacy is definitely needed um, in their time of bereavement. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about advocacy and just listening to all that you just laid out, um, I have a couple questions. The first one being, what brought you to this work as a as a pastor, as an Adventist pastor? Um, it doesn't seem to be the norm. I think things have been changing in the culture, but I'm pretty sure when we talk about social justice preachers, you're definitely the first or one of the first names that come to mind. Um, And so what brought you or what ignited this passion to this work? And then two, how would you encourage church people like regular folk who are passionate like you are to get involved? What does that Mm, look like in a tangible way? To answer your question, uh, I had to redefine what it meant to be a pastor. And I feel like before I was before I started getting really, really involved in social justice, I wasn't pastoring. Now that I'm involved in social justice, I am pastoring. Mm. I'm doing what a pastor should be doing. And that is ministering to the wow. people in the community. And that means living up to when Jesus talks mm. about having life and having it more abundantly, paying attention to the scriptures that talk about fighting for justice and using your power for the weak and for mm-hmm. the for the orphans and for the widows and for you know those that have been marginalized. I think that's what it means to be a pastor, that we don't just pastor our church, uh, mm. the four walls, but we pastor our zip code. So that's why I'm out in the streets. And so the, how did I come right. to that redefinition was I had to throw off a lot of things that I learned in seminary and growing up where, you know, people would say, uh, wait till, you know, sin has to run its course and, you know, uh, Jesus is going to come back and fix it. Mm. And that was a lot of the theology that was taught to me as a child and that I was taught growing up and even in school. And then I began to realize, I said, wait a minute, um, the children of Israel fought their oppressors. You know, God empowered them to overcome right. injustice. Then why aren't we doing the same thing as well? Why are we so only concerned about the Pope, the Catholic Church, and last day events when the paralytic is lying right outside our mm-hmm. gates and we step over them all the time? So I had to do a lot of detoxing 
right. um, in, in a sense of removing that way of thinking. And then I started reading books and started reading the Bible differently and started applying it. And then I realized that many of the things that I'm fighting for in the community, my people in my congregations are fighting for the same thing too. So that's what I'm like. So I'm not just fighting for my congregation mm-hmm. or the community. I'm fighting for everybody so that we can all have this, uh, this, right. this be prosperous and, you know, and to live the, the life that God intends for everybody to have, even while we wait for Jesus to return. Right, right. Man, that is so on point and I'm sure it resonates not just with me, but with so many others. And I'm wondering, why do you, why is that so hard to grasp? What is so difficult, as you know, like going around and doing um, ASJ Adventist for Social Justice, trying to get more pastors and churches and members on board. It's been three years of building mm-hmm. a case for this work, right? Which I would have never imagined that I would have spent the last three plus years convincing church people that we should be engaged in social justice. Why do you think it's so difficult to grasp? Because Adventism is very Eurocentric in its theology and its missiology and what it preaches. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is Mm -hmm. that it's very only focused on religious freedom and the soon and imminent return of Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ. Now, which is wonderful and great, but for Black folk, we have to have a unique theology as well that points to that, but also acknowledges right. our suffering in the meantime. So you take, um, for instance, most black churches uh, in our denomination and even outside our denomination are located in impoverished communities. And if they're not in impoverished communities, they're probably communities that mm-hmm. are about to be gentrified and that they're about to change. And if you're and if your black church is in a community that's not like that, then nine times out of 10, the people in that neighborhood want you to leave, sell your building and get out of here because, you know, they don't like you taking up the parking. So our mm-hmm. our teaching and our preaching not only has to speak to the return of Jesus Christ, but how do we live in the meantime? Because you look at our congregations, we got Mothers, uh, we got single mothers. We have uh, broken down schools that are pipelines to prisons. We have drugs that are um, in, um, that are distributed in our neighborhoods. I mean, the list goes on. Gun violence, and our people are dealing and living with that. And they, mm-hmm. we have to present the gospel to them that speaks to their situation. Now, take for example, a white congregation. They necessarily don't have right. to think about the things that we have to think about on a daily basis. When their members come to church, you know, um, and, right. and I know I'm speaking in general terms, but I'm, I'm just going to say that when their members come to church, they're not dealing with being judged by the color of their skin. You know, they're not, they don't have to think about, um, you know, worrying mm-hmm. about hearing gunshots going off in their neighborhood and running to check on their kids to make sure that a stray bullet hasn't, hasn't uh, you know, entered into their homes. Like, they're not thinking about the things that Blacks have to think about on right. a daily basis. As James Baldwin talks about, you know, to live in America, to be Black in America is to live in constant rage. And, you know, and then we also have, like, public policy that's right. created against us of mothers who have sons and daughters that are recycled in the prison system. So when you look at your congregation, the gospel that you preach has to speak to that and point people to Jesus Christ. When you look at your congregation and they're not dealing with that, that all you have right. to worry about is the second coming and your religious liberty. And I feel like blacks need to, and even browns, need to um, give the trumpet a distinct sound that speaks to the imminent return of Jesus, but yet still, how do we advocate uh, for freedom and equality for all people? And just to throw this in there as well, Uh, I don't understand the difficulty with Seventh-day Adventists when it comes to social justice because the Sabbath is a social justice reminder because God says in Deuteronomy, Mm -hmm. remember the Sabbath because Mm -hmm. you were once slaves in Egypt. 
In other words, the Sabbath was a delivering factor to get you out of slavery. Now free others from the same slavery as well. Bring them into your rest. So uh, I just think that uh, our theology is just very Eurocentric. It only points to one perspective. It doesn't give room for um, other thoughts or other even theologies or discussions. Mm. And unfortunately, and I can say this because I have a Caribbean background, a lot of Caribbean people have been colonized to serve and to worship white Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the white supremacist version of Jesus. He's on our Sabbath school lessons. He every that ghost has been haunting our churches for years. And there is no way to get that ghost out of our buildings. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) He's in the walls. He's He's everywhere you go. (laughs) Ah, man. So many nuggets. So do you think that it will take pastors on an individual level to implement that sort of uh, reframing of theology? Do you think the system's going to ever um, So do I think it? the system, the, the, well, I think the schools are trying to do it as, um, as I know that there are some master's programs hmm. that are coming up in Oakwood about reaching, you know, urban ministries, which is like code for black people, urban. I don't know why we use that word anymore, but Right. right. So I this, heard, um, I hate and that I word. Think, uh, <laughs> I think Washington Adventist University is calling one metro to the city. But this is the thing, right? You got to make sure that you have the right people teaching these classes. You have to make sure that you have individuals who are on the ground right. doing this kind of work who can speak to it. You know, if it's just people who sit in a classroom and learn about it, but they right. don't have any practice in it, then it, it doesn't translate the same way. So I do think that there are efforts for Mm -hmm. theology majors in our schools to understand the importance of social justice and why it needs to be included in uh, in sermon preparation and in life preparation. Uh, But I think for pastors who have gone uh, through the seminary and who have finished with school, it's something that they're going to have to do on their own. It has to be an individual uh, reckoning and an enlightenment that they come and say, hey, I need to pick this up for the sake of my people. Well, I am hopeful about (laughs) the future of what, you know, emerging theologians will will do on the ground. I'm hoping that, you know, these next generations that are here and kind of pushing the work forward can see the need for this um, and definitely feel comfortable and confident to go there. You know, I visited a couple camp meetings in the last couple years and, you know, the 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 subject is changing. Um, I think some of the up and coming pastors are feeling a little bit more confident and comfortable just sort of embracing that level of theology. And so hopefully it means that the future of the church is better than what we have and what it's been. Um, yeah, me. And I'm a little hopeful about that. <laughs> yeah, me not, too. Not because, too hopeful, know, but I'm a little hopeful. We have to do this now because the church is in crisis mode. And, you know, fearful of the fact that we're not really acknowledging it, that if we don't mm-hmm. start uh, advocating for social justice and start including this in the work that we do, we're going to start seeing more millennials just leaving which they're already doing because they're losing interest in yeah. you know, the status quo. And they really want to put their faith um, to, to action and put work behind it rather than just sitting in the church and just keep hearing the same old messages with the same old themes and the same old outcomes. They can, they can practically preach mm-hmm. you know, what they've heard already like verbatim. So we're at this place where you're, we're seeing our church uh, constantly just repeating. You know, it's almost like uh, our church is like the Sabbath school lesson. We repeat the same thing over and over. You know, we're not really writing new lessons. Mm. We're just recycling old mm-hmm. lessons and doing it over and over. <laughs> and people are getting hit to that. So we're at the place <laughs> where we have to begin to acknowledge that ministry in America has got to be different. And it's got to show that we actually care about people that we're not just transactional by pitching a tent, 
baptizing yeah. 100 people, and we don't even care about where those 100 people are right now. That we got to move to building relationships and hearing people's stories, right. and that's how we win them to the gospel. Right, right. So how would you, I know we didn't um, get to this a little earlier, but where does someone begin? They want to get involved. Where would you advise the first entry point to be? Okay. So if I was talking to a pastor, if a pastor is listening to me, I just simply say, get out of your office or get out of your house and go to a city council meeting. Go to, mm. go to uh, a local Organize, nonprofit organization who is organizing in your community. Just sit down in the meeting mm. or host one inside of your church. Open up your doors to the community and just hear some of the, the problems that are plaguing the neighborhood that your church resides in. Uh, you know, and then when you mm. go out, like one of the things that I've discovered, and I think you kind of touched on it earlier, is that when I'm in these meetings with uh, other faith leaders, and I mentioned that I'm a seven-day Adventist. It's like a leprechaun has just walked in the room. They're like, oh my gosh, yes. an Adventist is here. Like they're so <laughs> excited to know that one of us actually cares and we've come out. So, you know, you know, it, it's all about it's all about understanding as a pastor that your church is your zip code. Your church is your community. Mm. It is not just the people who sit in the pews. You have a responsibility to that neighborhood and your responsibility is to know what is happening in that neighborhood so that you can address the issues because the church, the black church is still one of the most powerful entities um, in America. Mm -hmm. Like it still has a voice. People still respect it. So, you know, it's using that power um, to do that and making sure that we actually connect with people because the longer you are Adventist, uh, the more your friends become Adventists. And so we don't even know how to talk to people anymore. Right. So I would recommend that. Just just get out, <laughs> right? And to, the, and to the member who's sitting in the pew and they're like, man, I'm committed to this church, but I feel a commitment to the community. I would just say, approach your pastor about developing and starting a social justice ministry. Call up ASJ. Call mm -hmm. Tiffany Llewellyn. Call yeah. the doctor. The doctor <laughs> will come in and provide you with resources to start social justice. And if yes. your church doesn't want you to do it, then do it on your own. You know, there's no reason why you can't create your own right. social justice network through a small group, meeting in your house. Mm. And then you guys just, uh, you know, work towards uh, uh, advocacy and fighting for the rights of the least of these. Right, right. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing those practical steps. Um, and I believe that's really where it begins. Like we have to get on the ground, get our hands dirty. The work is, is mm -hmm. waiting for us. I have to have to get your thoughts on this woman's ordination issue. It's interesting. We're taping right on the heels of um, annual council voting to warn, I believe it was six unions um, or six presidents who decided to not abide by their recommendations or by whatever the unity document says, um, which means that those unions um, are ordaining women in ministry. This continues to be a fight. And I feel like one of the things that we're not naming in the conversation with women's ministry is that it's women's ordination um, for women pastors is that it's gender discrimination um, on, on many levels. And so what are your thoughts on these presidents being warned or penalized and sort of where our church is as it regards to how we treat women in ministry? Yeah, so you hit the hammer uh, on the nail. It's straight up gender discrimination. There's no other way to look at it. Uh, um, you know, my thoughts are this, is that it's really unfair in regards to uh, the fact that our church is predominantly made up of women and it's women's mm -hmm. dollars that keep churches open that keep ministries funded, and which has always been like a historical thing. It's always been women who've always supported men 
and the men have mm-hmm. gone forward and done things. You know, the women stay home while the man goes to work. But things have changed. Times have changed. And even right. biblically, we can see Jesus empowered women to preach and to lead. And that's and there's no denying that in the Bible. So clearly we're at a place where we are doing full-blown gender discrimination. And we're saying because you are a woman, you cannot have equal status with a male. But this is the problem. Mm. You still have to meet all of the goals that a male has to make, that a male has to meet. You still have to do tithe. You still have to do baptism. Mm. You still have to do all that. But you can never become a president or a leader in our church. That is discrimination. Mm. There's no other way to look at that. And, you know, this Bible talks about, I pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and yes. your daughters uh, shall prophesy. So uh, that's that's a that's a major issue and a major concern for me uh, and which I've asked to have my uh, my ordination license uh, transferred to be commissioned, because I'm saying if you can't wow. if you can't ordain the women, then don't ordain me. I don't want to be a part of that. And which is still a fight Mm -hmm. because they've been kicking it down the road, my conference has. And I want to give a shout out to Pucky Fordham and to Kimon Hines. Uh, Those two, Mm -hmm. and those were the the first two, and I think the only two who have done it and who have been successful and their conference has allowed that, their union has allowed them to do it. So I'm tired of, you know, the the rhetoric and the, the playing around in regards to how we use uh, and how we use our women, because, you know, uh, if pastor, I'm just going to use Rebecca Davis or pastor Lola Moore does a crusade mm-hmm. and baptize 100 people, we're going to definitely parade her on the stage. Right. right. And we're definitely going to receive her tithe, but we will not receive her as a woman to give her fair and equal status. And it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And this is what's really unfortunate because you would think, the regional conferences, the black conferences would be the ones to say, we're going to ordain our women, whether the union goes along with it or whether the GC, because right. if there's anybody who knows about discrimination, it is us. Hmm. Right, right. You know, if there's anybody that, that has felt discrimination, it's us. And to turn around and to discriminate against women, it's just, it's just crazy to me. It's ludicrous to me. Right. So I think, you know, it has a lot to do with male ego, male patriarchy, mm-hmm. uh, fraternity, where we don't want to share the stage mm-hmm. with women. Uh, I think it also has to do with fear, mm-hmm. um, you know, almost like the story with Vashti, uh, when they were like, the mm-hmm. men were like, oh, if this gets out to the community, then all women will think right. that, you know, that it's okay to say no. So I think it's one of those things like we're afraid to let women in. Because we're just afraid of how powerful you are and we'll get pushed out. So mm-hmm. this whole, and that whole compliance thing with the GC, I, I thought that was the dumbest thing. I'm, I know I'm on spectrum, so I have to be very mindful of how I speak. <laughs> but This is that Venice Voices. We keep it real over here. <laughs> I just thought that was so futile and such a waste of time to publicly shame those unions. Because at the end of the day, right. guess what? You still want they check. You still need right. that money. So, you know, don't, don't talk about you publicly shaming them for doing the right thing, for doing what is supposed to be done. Or dang right. the women, or just get rid of ordination altogether and call it tenure. Mm. Just call it tenure. Just say that after a certain amount of years, you have made tenure and that's it. Because the moment you are called, you are ordained by God. You know, ordination right, is just a right. human recognition of the gifts uh, that the spirit has laid upon you. So then, you know, if you don't want to ordain women, then just get rid of it all across the board and just call it call it tenure, like what universities do. Hmm. You know, it's interesting you say that because I know the age old question is where in the Bible does it talk about ordination? Where are the scriptures where can people go and sort of find justification for this policy um, and this system that we have? And over and over again, correct me if I'm wrong, there is no scripture that speaks to ordination, like ordination is not a biblical process? Yeah, the, the process that we that we follow is very pagan. I don't even know where it came from. I just know that it's not it's not in the Bible. It's a very simple process of recognizing the gifts that have been bestowed upon you by the Holy Spirit and that 
you are fit for ministry. So all of that whole, you know, pomp and circumstance that we do, there's not, there's no substantial scriptural support for that. Um, mm. But, you know, and it's so it's like, it's like we really need to move beyond traditions and beyond rituals and beyond institution preservation. And that's where mm. we're getting to the place where we're just becoming a straight up institution and no longer a movement. And you can see like, right. you know, this and it's this preservation of the institution that's forcing us to keep coming out with these rules, with these regulations, with this, uh, you know, compliance documents, because we're all about just protecting the institution where it's almost getting to the place where we worship the institution more than the inst- more than the one who instituted us. Mm, wow, wow, wow. You know, because you look at Jesus, Jesus was very counter-empire and counter-institution. That's why he was hated so right. much by the scribes and Pharisees, because he, he walks up and says, destroy this temple. He's like, get rid of it. And, you know, he's referring to his mm-hmm. body. He's like, look, I'm the one you to have this temple. And then he, and then you read further on in the scriptures where Paul talks about you are the temple of God. And we talk about, you know, I've, I've written my law on your heart because the movement of Jesus was not to be tied up in a building or an institution. Early right. believers, right. you didn't have to tell them to go to church because if you said that to them, they would look at you like, why would I go to a place that I already am? I am the church. Mm. I am the movement. And they met in houses. And when you read an Acts about Jason's house, you know, the Bible says that um, that they stormed into Jason's house and they pulled him out. And they said that they were harboring criminals like Paul and Silas. And they charged them with this. This is what this is what stood out to me. The Bible says that they charged them as men who were turning the world upside down because they were speaking against mm. Caesar. The, the, the early wow. believers were calling out injustice of what it felt like to live under Roman oppression. And there were a small group that did that. It wasn't a big church. It was small groups that were meeting and turning the world upside down. But what we have today is this organization and this organization just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. And the bigger it gets, the more mm. rules, the more man-made rules it comes up with. And it's 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 funny yeah. that we are becoming everything that we don't want to be or everything that we were protesting right. in the Catholic Church, that we have our own creed, we mm. have our own dogmas, and we are missing out on the people that are suffering and hurting in our society. Wow. Wow. And, you know, when I think about this exodus that's happening across our church, not not even just with at one point, the conversation was about, you know, young people and millennials are leaving the church. But, you know, at this point, I think it's sort of everybody's leaving regardless of age. And, you know, over and over, I hear about people who want to connect to, you know, the people on the ground doing the work, caring what Jesus did and feeling disconnected from this really institutionalized um, organization that's really just become about, like you said, the dogmas, the policies, the traditions, and it just doesn't resemble the church of God anymore, which is a really scary place to be. Um, So I definitely want to shout out all our women pastors, our women in ministry, um, those and and even the the male pastors who have taken stands to support um and to stand in solidarity you know we continue to push and push this conversation forward i definitely want to shout out the unions and the presidents who are taking a stand and doing what's right um and and saluting that work that they are Mm -hmm. doing um and hopefully enough of us raise our voices so that you know, things continue to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and the higher ups know that we just won't settle and, and sort of just take whatever they give. So shouting out everybody that's a part of the yeah. fight for women's equality in our yeah, churches. Absolutely. Shout out. And I wanna encourage uh I wanna encourage all the scholars uh in our churches, uh particularly to the women. Like I feel like there needs to be a womanist Adventist theology 
Uh, there needs to be mm. a black Adventist theology that we really need to start putting our our minds together and really start writing and documenting and mm. making this stuff public um, so that we understand it yeah. from a scriptural standpoint, because that's what's going to move our people. Our people are people of the Bible. And if you can't prove it biblically, mm-hmm. um, they're not going to do it. And as a cherry on top, if you get that Ellen White quote, oh, you're good to go. You know, once Ellen White signed off, we get to go. But I just want to encourage us. To, I always right. want to encourage us to write. Like I'm waiting for your book, Doctor Llewellyn. You know, on mental health in the African American <laughs> community. Like I'm waiting. I want to hear and want to see us writing. Doctor Sidney Freeman inspired me, and he's like, you know, ever since he wrote that article mm-hmm. about Adventist scholars, that we need to we need to be in the forefront of crafting these uh, yeah. ideas and these thoughts and. Uh, pushing these conversations, crucial conversations, so that we can, you know, so that we can constantly move forward. Like we can't ever believe or think that we have all truth and that truth stops here. Truth right. is progressive. As long as we're alive, we'll always keep learning and God will keep inspiring people to write and to think and to create. So, you know, shout out to everybody doing the Absolutely. thing, but come on, let's start writing. Let's start putting that stuff out there. All right, we're gonna have a slew of books coming out. <laughs> Let's get to writing. I'm definitely on board with that. Speaking of books, um, this is a good time for us to talk about your book, which I was obsessed with. I was on a flight a couple months ago, and I was very happy that I grabbed it and brought it with me. Don't leave the neighbor out of the hood, reversing the miseducation of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. That's a loaded title. First of all, congratulations on writing and completing a book because writing a book is very intimidating. So definitely, you know, congratulations to you for for birthing this book. Um, I love the imaging on the book. I love the title. Tell us about why you chose this particular image, why you chose this title and what it is you wanted this book to do for the community. Um, yeah, so the I'll start with the title. The ti- Oh, first of all, thank you. Thank you for uh, for shouting out the book. And I'm glad that you enjoyed it or enjoying oh, yeah. it. I hope that, um, you know, I just wanted it to, to be one of those books that people can read and be like, oh, I never thought about that. So I appreciate you um, shouting it out mm-hmm. uh, and, and reading it. But uh, the title actually was an inspiration from one of my favorite speakers, uh, one of my heroes, and somebody that I look up to greatly who's here in Dallas, Texas, and his name is Dr. Frederick Haynes III. And, um, you know, when you talk mm-hmm. about me getting into mm-hmm. social justice, somebody gave me a cassette of his while I was in seminary, and I just heard how he just broke down the gospel and the community and i was just simply amazed and so ever since that day i've been a fan and a follower and you know we've been and we're friends Mm. too so we work together on a lot of uh advocacy Mm. things and he's like one of the most coolest and most down-to-earth pastors that i've ever met um and there's also other pastors that have inspired me too dr uh dedrick blue who pastors the North Bronx SDA Church mm-hmm. and uh, Dr. Eddie Polite, yeah. who is here in Dallas. But going back to the title, mm-hmm. the title was inspired from Dr. Freddie Haynes, and it was from a sermon that he preached. And he was preaching about, uh, you know, just put in the na- don't put in the neighbor in the hood and remembering that uh, we're not disconnected from those that we minute that. That, that we minister to just because we drive into here doesn't mean that we are disconnected from here. So I basically just told him I'm lifting that and I'm putting that as the title of my book. And he said, he said that was cool. So that's what inspired <laughs> me to do that. I, and then based on my, uh, my dissertation mm. that I was writing for uh, United Theological Seminary, I kind of like worked that into it as I was doing my research. Now the cover was an inspiration that uh, my graphic designer and we just kept going back and forth. And we were just talking about how I wanted an image of a young man uh, who, you know, who's in the hood or who looks like he's struggling, but something else is on his mind. And so the picture is supposed to like communicate Mm. that 
we need to change our minds about how we think about the hood, about how we think about our communities and and what do we need to do. So that's mm-hmm. what inspired the title with the image um, to hopefully go with the content. Because I wanted to choose an image that would just grab people, that would just be like, oh, man, let me see what right. this is about. So that's how that's how all of that yeah, came together. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love the idea of not leaving a neighbor out of the hood is similar to when I asked churches, you know, when did the church become separate from the community? Like, how did we start saying the church and the community? Um, and how do we get back to reconciling the two? And it, it sort of reminds me of that same thought. We have a responsibility to understand the stories, the histories, the realities Um, of the people who live in communities that we may not exist in. Um, And I believe we have a responsibility to position ourselves in spaces to learn, to hear, to help, to lift up and to be inspired from. I have worked in communities that's considered the hood and I love it. The energy, the family vibe that I've always gotten is just so powerful um, so that title mm-hmm. yeah, definitely and, grabbed me. Yeah, there and a uh, lot so of, I was just gonna mm-hmm. jump in, like like you were saying, it's like, you know, we we look at we have the hood and then we have neighborhoods. And so why do we differentiate the two? It's supposed to be, you know, put the neighbor back in the hood. It's mm. the neighborhood. And you know, with many of our churches, most of our people don't live in the neighborhood, but we're quick to say, Oh, my church is in the hood. No, you are in the hood too. You are the neighbor. If you worship there, you are part of that community. Mm -hmm. So you have a responsibility to that community. And so that's kind of like what the book is driving to. Like, how do we reimagine what we think about communities? How do we reimagine and take back what others have said about our neighborhoods, that narrative of, oh, don't go there. The people over there are dumb and the people over there, they just want to smoke drugs and most of them are on welfare. Like, let's not forget, you came from one of those communities too. You know, just because you moved out don't mean that you still still got some little hood inside (laughs) of you as well. So just, you know, just reminding churches like, hey, if you worship here, you are a part of this as well. And how do we fix or how do we support Mm. what's already there to make it better? Right. And that's a part of the frustration. I think you mentioned it earlier is that we drive in on Sabbath and we drive out and we never occupy ourselves with what are the issues that these communities are experiencing and facing and how can we be a part of that? And one thing I saw you um, you did one time that I um, adopted it. Now I'm publicly <laughs> telling you I adopted it. <laughs> Was that um, you had done a presentation at a church and you did the research to find out about the community. So what was the income levels? What were the schools like? What sort of resources? What were the top issues, et cetera? Um, and brought that to the church's attention. And I spoke at a church last week and I did the same thing. And it was really interesting to share that and um, to get the response from the congregation as if it was the first time that they were learning about what's happening in their church's community. Um, So that's something that I saw that you've done. And I think it's crucial and critical for every church to do that sort of research and pull the data to know what's going on. Absolutely. You know, if we if we did more stuff like that, uh, if we did more focusing on the community, we would have less stuff to argue about at church. Mm-hmm. You know, we would have less stuff to fight about in business meeting and board meetings and nominating committee meeting. If we were, if we were really focused on our mission to the community. Because when you're in those church buildings, all we do is tend to focus on ourselves and what we want. Right. You know, and then you find people leave churches because at the end of the day, very so people leave churches, I think, for three reasons. One, a very small group leaves because of doctrinal issues. Two, Mm -hmm. another group leaves because they've just been hurt. You know, and churches Mm -hmm. create opportunities for people to get hurt. They say nasty things, especially during election times. And then the other reason why people leave is because they're not getting what they want. You know, some Mm -hmm. people just get very selfish and because 
the church is not doing what I want, so I'm going to go to another church and get that. And that's what, when we when we're so concerned with focusing with ourselves in the building, focusing on, oh, the music is too loud, there's this, there's this, there's right. that, because that's what church does. But if we took time to like do a community assessment, we invited the community in and mm-hmm. we spent most of our Sabbath days strategizing about how are we going to change the community? How are we going to be a light in this community? We'll have a, we, 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 that's when we'll start having church. That's when we'll right. start having differences. But right now, you know, it's it's this whole uh, Burger King, gotta have it my way, right away mm-hmm. mentality that uh, that churches create just by being in those buildings cooped up all the time. Yeah, I agree 100%, 100%. So, Pastor Jay, anything else from the book that you want to ensure that our uh, listeners um, know? And where can we get the book? Where Where is it available for purchase? You have two books actually out. Yeah, yeah. I have, Mention uh, the other book really quickly. So the other book is Justice or Just Us. And that's just mm-hmm. sermons and reflections uh, on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So it's like a lot of social justice sermons that I preach throughout mm. the years that people have just said, hey, just put it in a book. I would love to read it as a devotional. So I just decided to compile a few sermons and put it in there and a few reflections about social justice with questions mm. at the end. So if you're somebody who like wants to see how do you preach this text or how did you interpret this text to talk about what's happening in the world, that's a really good book for you. And it has uh, devotional questions at the end of each chapter that you can contemplate on. So you could do it in a small group. You could do it by yourself. So that's mm-hmm. more like a devotional type. Uh, Don't Leave the Neighbor Out the Hood is kind of like the instruction manual. So mm-hmm. if you are uh, want to know how did I set up a social justice ministry at City Temple, what are some of the things that I do in the community, um, and, you know, a little history of the church of learning how Oakwood was started and, you know, how blacks were treated uh, when they first, uh, you know, became uh, became strong about preaching this gospel. That has like a lot of historical information and present information to use to defend and to define social justice from the Bible. So mm. that's the difference between those two books. And if you're interested in picking those up, you can go on Amazon and just type in my name or type in don't leave the neighbor out the hood or justice or just us. But it's probably easier if you type in my name in Amazon and you can order the book on Kindle or you can get a paperback copy and it'll be in your hands instantaneously. Awesome. Uh, If you're like me, you need the paper copy. I have so many pages folded over in the book. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get into the audio book, ebook type of thing, but I need the pages. I'm just old school with my books. Not if you want the book, we definitely are encouraging all our listeners, please go support this phenomenal body of work. Um, and to Dr. Kalasar, who, you know, wrote this book. And, and like you mentioned earlier, so many of us, we, have the knowledge, the experience, the expertise to pour into into these writings. And so we definitely want to ensure that he sees an uptick in book sales after this episode airs. So thank you for sharing that. Any last words for our audience, um, Dr. K? Um, any inspiration? Sometimes, not sometimes, but I think social justice work is is a labor of love, but it's also a labor of sacrifice it feels really exhausting sometimes. Um, change is slow, especially if we're talking about institutional change in the church or in the community. And it could be really easy to just sort of give up. How, what sort of encouragement would you leave with those of us who are passionate about this work um, to keep going? What sort of keeps you going? Yeah, uh, that's real good. Uh, you know, like you said, social justice is a slow turning wheel. It's a thankless job. It's not uh, public like how charity is. It's very private. Mm-hmm. Many people won't see the things that you do, but you're doing it behind the scenes. And it's tiring because you know once you once you do one thing, there's always something else to fight for when it comes to justice. But what I've done for myself is uh, I have 
learned how not to do everything because it's too Mm. much to do, to just focus on one thing, to pace myself, and to also take time to celebrate. Like a lot of times Mm. we get so caught up in trying to do the next thing and trying to move to the next thing and we don't stop. Like you really have to take time as you do social justice work to pause and to celebrate the little victories. Like if you... If you start out and you're able to put together a team, celebrate that. You know, just just mm. acknowledge it and just celebrate that. And just pace yourself and understand what is it you can do and what you can't do. Set boundaries for yourself and and continue to press on. Like one of the things that sticks with me why I fight so much for social justice is because I have daughters and I want to make sure that I can do the best that I can do to leave this world a better place for them until Jesus Christ returns. And so Mm. my push and my passion is to make sure that I'm fighting not for myself, but for them, because I always want to leave that door open for somebody else. But just remember who you are and whose you are and continue to remember that this is not something that, you know, you do for accolades or for to be on a Mm -hmm. pedestal. You do it because you love people and because you love God and because this is what God wants you to do. And also build yourself a team of people that you can talk to, that you can cry in front of, that you can just release and that you can mm-hmm. just process and then continue to, to press on. So that's my uh, little spiel. That's what I do. And if you need to talk to me, reach out to me on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, just type in my name. Uh, Dr. Jamie Collisaw or Much Is Given, you'll find me. I'm somewhere out there. Somebody get you to me. And I'd love to uh I'd love to advocate and help you out in any way that I can. Awesome. Awesome. Y'all, we got some good information today. Great advice, uh, wisdom, expertise, and just good conversation. Thank you so, so much, Dr. K, for hopping on the podcast. I'm very sure we will have you on again because you are doing great things and I know that there's so much more to come. Um, We're praying for you, for your ministry, for your family and for the work that you're doing in the community. Um, And so thank you so, so very much and all the best with, with your ministry and your work. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. T, Dr. Tiffany. I'm so proud of you and all that you do. And I'm so encouraged by your work. Like, and you don't know, when I saw ASJ starting up, I was like, yes, yes, it, there are more that are going to fight for this. So keep it up. You're doing a great work for Spectrum. And you're doing a great work for ASJ. And, you know, I always got your back. Anything that I could do, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Uh, but keep up the good Thank work. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. We're trying. All right, everyone, this is Girl Meets Church. Um, We'll continue to have conversations about justice and religion, uh, culture, uh, all the tough topics we'll be tackling. So stay tuned for our next episode. Have a good one.